Welcome to the weekly podcast of Capital Outlook from Wyoming PBS. Capital Outlook is a weekly show broadcast whenever the Wyoming legislature is in session from Cheyenne. To learn more, visit us at wyomingpbs.org. Welcome to the Wyoming Capitol in Cheyenne. I'm Craig Blumenschein from Wyoming PBS. This week on Capital Outlook, we'll continue our discussions on the budget, on state revenues, and on K-12 education. We'll begin with the leadership of the Wyoming Legislature, Senate President Dan Dockstetter, and Speaker of the House, Dr. Eric Barlow. And then we'll bring in two members of the House Revenue Committee. That's the Chairman, Representative Steve Harshman, and Representative Jim Roscoe. Our Capital Outlook profile this week is with an architect who is also a senator in the Wyoming legislature, that's Senator Stephen Pappas. And then we'll revive our tradition of introducing freshman legislators. We'll visit with Representative Amber Oakley and Representative Carly Provenza. That's next on Capital Outlook, which starts now. This program is supported in part by a grant from the BNSF Railway Foundation, dedicated to improving the general welfare and quality of life in communities throughout the BNSF Railway Service Area. Proud to support Wyoming PBS. This program was funded in part by a grant from Newman's Own Foundation, working to nourish the common good by donating all profits from Newman's Own food and beverage products to charitable organizations that seek to make the world a better place. More information is available at newmansownfoundation.org. By a grant from AARP, serving the needs and providing real possibilities for the over 50 population in Wyoming. AARP Wyoming, proud to support Wyoming PBS. Programming on Wyoming PBS is brought to you in part by Wyoming Humanities. Strengthening Wyoming democracy through the humanities for 50 years. Thinkwhy.org. Proud to support Wyoming PBS. And as we begin our discussion with the leadership of the Wyoming legislature, pleased to welcome back uh, the Speaker of the House, Dr. Eric Barlow, and Senate President Dan Dockstetter. Gentlemen, welcome back to Capital Outlook. Mr. President, I want to start with you because I followed the House budget debates more closely yesterday. I want to get your take on what happened in the Senate. The earlier reports that I'm getting is the Senate was perhaps more assertive in its um, budget cuts maybe than the House has been. What's your perspective? Well, we gathered the troops together and said, everybody remember how difficult it is. And with that, uh, we opened up uh, the second reading amendments and um, you didn't see a lot go through. One of the senators got up and said, well, I've just watched the last six go down. He says, I think I'll just withdraw mine because it had an expenditure in it. And that happened two or three times because they were just being, they were being voted down. There was some concern about um, cuts to the Department of Health. Some restorations on the House side, were there any on the Senate side that are noteworthy? They were exploring some opportunities to, uh, we call it the Rob Peter to pay Paul situation. Can we reach into what we see or some extra funds in uh, different areas and move them over rather than cut. And it just becomes, as I got up and said, it becomes a, this is where you have to reach down deep and decide, are you with that or 
area or are you with that area? Where do you stand? And we actually moved some funds over to developmental disabilities. Dr. Barlow, your perspective on what happened in the House this week relative to the budget? I, I, think, that, I think the House actually took a pretty op optimistic tone and tried to restore some of the cuts that they felt maybe went a little too far. Now, obviously, the governor was responding to a, to a dire financial you know, revenue circumstance in July, August, September, October. And I think as we got more information, the House felt comfortable that some of those revenues probably were better, are better, um, and at the same time, because of the way money gets streamed and flowed, we were going to be saving more money because of that. And so I think in the House, um, well, I don't think there was a lot of generosity. I'm not going to, don't take sure, me wrong. Sure. But I think there was a willingness to step back on some of the, I guess what they called them was the worst of the worst cuts. The cuts to the, to the DD waiver, the cuts to in-home senior service um, services, the cuts to those type of things. But as far as a bunch of new money for things, I'd say the only, the only uh, big add was one for carbon um, capture and utilization. Um, we, added, we added some money to, you know, to, uh, to uh, try to extend the life of our fossil fuel industry, particularly coal, um, and uh, boost that. So I think there was optimism on one side and realism about revenue picture is, is um, improved. Give our viewers a perspective now of what will happen. More cuts to the University of Wyoming on the Senate side, not as many on the House side. But now you have to work all this out. What's the process that our viewers should be aware of in the next week here? We still have the third readings to go through. Once that settles down, then we'll come together with our respective committees and, and see where there's common ground. And that's the process from here. Uh, I would note, too, the uh, Senate also uh, moved funds over to carbon capture because we felt like it's still a viable resource for Wyoming, and uh, the two bodies are agreeing upon that, that uh, we want to have that fully explored before we leave it. On to a different topic. Um, now that Governor Gordon has announced the state would be lifting its statewide mask mandate and most other um, public health orders, I'm very interested generally now from your reflections on the state's response to the COVID-19. President Doc Center, let's visit with you first. Generally speaking, how in your eyes did Wyoming do? You know, that was, a, that was a difficult area to begin with. I have no criticism for those making the decisions in the beginning because we didn't know exactly what we had. We were adjusting to it as we went. And now we have the opportunity to take a closer look. <clears throat> we have a, a general bill that's out there, but we also had a, quite a debate last night on a task force that would be considered to go back and see how did we ha handle this in each area. <clears throat> One of the discussions was regarding uh, do we have just those who are specific to the healthcare industry or do we reach out and include business members, business, members of the business community, those who lived it on the front line in our rural communities. And we we're adamant that we include those in that, that task force at this point is moving forward because we want to understand where we succeeded, where we may have fallen short. Well, we certainly have to examine what the lessons learned um, and lessons learned for the next the next issue. Um, in, in the world that I was trained in and, and practiced in veterinary medicine for 20 years, I mean, we had, we had um, wouldn't call them public health, animal health emergencies quite often. I mean, we, we routinely, have, routinely have brucellosis in western Wyoming. And then there's other things that come in, foreign animal diseases, zoonotic diseases. So I guess in my, in my view, and we always, you know, what did we learn from that one? We always have those look backs. 
in human medicine, i.e. in this public health arena we're in right now with COVID, we haven't had one of those for quite a while, at least a significant one that was a worldwide pandemic. We had um, the bird flu, we had some others. So I think there are lessons to be learned. There are lessons to be learned. Now, are there also bills on our side? We had four bills come up, public health officer type bills, public health type bills come up um, in front of committee um, earlier this week. And one of them advanced, and one of them advanced that would give the governor appointment authority over the state health officer. That's not the way it currently it is. I, I think the probably the most important thing for me to understand, I think this goes to what the good president is talking about as far as you know, the consequences to the broader community and to business, et cetera, is how do we deal with the diseased individual and those exposed to actual disease, and how do we deal with those folks that are not affected by disease? and how we limit transmission with that community. And try, quite honestly, one is a public health component, has a public health, and I want the public health professionals and to take the lead on that. And the other is a political thing. The other is a community and a political thing. And I do think there's a role, we can adjust the role, personally, for elected officials and citizenry to be more involved in that. Last word on the topic, Mr. President. I think uh, we go back and look at it when we first started. Everyone was, what do we have here? This is, this is scary, this is concerning, but as we started to move through it, uh, the, 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 it that same attitude kind of changed and said, why are we uh, so, uh, why are there so many mandates related to this that we don't see in the rural communities? And it becomes a, a rural city issue. And I saw the different attitudes as I traveled back and forth from Cheyenne. I see it now as I travel to the small communities around the state. It's, it's an entirely different approach to how we take care of it in the rural side and in the in the cities of Wyoming. I want to move to health care and specifically talk about Medicaid, if we could. Um, bills before the legislature now to um, allow Wyoming to participate in what's generally called Medicaid expansion, to provide more health care perhaps to lower income residents of the state. Um, with plans that have evolved now from the federal government, is now the right time for Wyoming to expand Medicaid? I would say I'm not sure that we have the support on our side of the building. I'll let the speaker speak for and, us. And I know there's, a, there's bills on both sides of the building. Ours haven't got far enough in the process to even know where the support is. And I don't know that we understand all the, um, I don't know, I don't understand all of the opportunities being offered right now by the federal government and the longevity of those. Um, you know, we're getting, there's a stimulus, new stimulus package coming out. There's infrastructure in the works. There's lots of folks, things in the works. and. I mean, there's just there's a lot of moving parts. Um, now, do I think that we need to have a discussion about how we con continue having discussion about affordable, accessible health care in the state of Wyoming? Absolutely. Is Medicaid expansion a component of that? Very possibly. On to education. We need to talk about that every, every week I think we get together. <laughs> just now, um, your bodies will start to have serious discussions about the bills moving forward in your respective bodies. Uh, Mr. President, um, Senator Scott said, said this relative to education. He talked about the basket of goods, and, the, and his, his thought this week was everything but the kitchen sink is in the basket of goods and we lost, we've lost our focus with education. Does this body have the time to deal with this um, huge issue in the next three weeks when you consider things like the basket of goods, how much Wyoming will spend or won't spend, et cetera? We would hope for more time. There isn't. We have to deal with it. And uh, it is what it is. We're going to have to decide. Uh, my concern is that as we do this, as we, as we look at uh, reductions that have been long needed in this area, 
we have to make sure that our teachers, our classroom are protected and getting a little feedback from across the state, uh, maybe they felt a little unapp unappreciated this week and we don't. Uh, we, it's, that's not the case at all. We appreciate them very much, but we still have a reality check when it comes to that education budget. $300 million out there in both uh, capital construction and in school foundation, it still has to be addressed and we have a short time to address it. In the short time, uh, the, relative to the short time, the governor asked in his State of the State speech, he said that he wanted our stakeholders and communities to be involved in establishing a plan and a vision. But again, we have a time crunch to make important decisions. Mr. President, or excuse me, Mr. Speaker. So um, the process continues, right? We had a recalibration committee through the interim. Um, it didn't take up the basket of goods. Now, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I don't know that there's a bill in the Senate or in the House that actually addresses the basket of goods. So let's go back to the, 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 the playing field, if you will. You want to change the markers on the playing field, someone's got to bring those proposals. So I don't know if the basket of goods is on the table. What's on the table right now, I think, is mostly just the funding of how education, the funding, and then subsequently delivery. The, the, we give local control, right? We send out blocks of money to 48 school districts and we rely on local elected officials to oversee the proper um, um, provision of education in those communities, including providing the basket of goods. Now, I don't know if you can supp supply all the basket of goods in reading, arithmetic, and, and writing. I don't know. Maybe you can. Maybe you can get it all in those three things. Um, but So if we, we, have, we have these conversations, we're going to have the holistic look bring those bills. And I'm not saying, I mean, I'm just as responsible for that as anybody else. I don't think we're there. Right now, we're just focusing on our revenue stream. And we know that um, education has, you know, probably the, the most constricted revenue streams in the state of Wyoming, property tax and, you know, uh, state lands, the two primary sources of revenues. Um, you know, doesn't have any sales tax, doesn't have all those other things. So, and it's most dependent, if it's, with those two revenue streams, it's most dependent on minerals our most volatile revenue stream. So in the House, I think there's more willingness to say, we've got to look at our revenue streams for education too, because it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing uh, part of our state and what our citizenry is interested in. So how do, we, how do we have those discussions? And many more discussions to come. I wish we had more time today, but we're going to move on to our next segment. But we are going to focus on revenue with the chairman of the House Revenue Committee, that's uh, Representative Steve Harshman, and also independent Representative Jim Roscoe. That's next. Stay with us. And as we continue on with this discussion in Capital Outlook, it's our pleasure to be joined by the chairman of the House Revenue Committee, Representative Steve Harshman, and also Representative Jim Roscoe, a member of that committee and also an independent, one of the very few in the Wyoming legislature to you. Both of you, welcome and thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. I want to start this discussion about your role, uh, what you perceive your role to be. We've heard from the Senate Vice President and many others that, that the Senate is not going to um, be amicable to any revenue bills this session. How does that influence what you do in the House, in the House Revenue Committee? Uh, Mr. Chairman, I'll let you start. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a good question. I think um, uh, part of it's an education piece, you know, really, and I think... Um, and that's what going through the, the body. I think the House obviously is different. We're up for election every two years. We want to do what is possible, but we also want to keep educating members. So our committee has to pass some bills out, even though we know they're not going to be passed in the House. Or, But it's that process, because really there's three types of taxes, right? 
You know, you've got property taxes, you've got sales taxes, and you have income taxes. We don't do income taxes. And uh, we have, I think, the fifth lowest property tax in the United States, and I think the second lowest sales tax in the United States. And we've been blessed because of minerals. And so that's the third, that severance tax is really kind of a, almost an income tax on mineral producers. And, uh, and that's really where we're at. It's about coal. You know, all these issues we're talking about, it's coal. And, uh, you know, oil's, you know, we know in Wyoming, oil's gone up and down. I'm a kid from Midwest Wyoming. I know about uh, oil's up and downs. But I think the drop in coal's been over 50% just in the last six years or so. And, uh, you know, it's over $400 million a year to our state budget and then local economies and all the jobs. So that's really our, our big issue. How do you replace the tons of coal? Representative Roscoe, what are your thoughts on your role as a member of this committee that passes bills, passes bills through committee perhaps, but on deaf ears, at least in the Senate for sure, this this session and even the House at times? Well, it is a little frustrating. Uh, you know, I think um, the the world markets and national markets are telling us that we need to, that uh, we need to adjust our economy <laughs> a bit. And uh so uh, I don't know what we're going to, I don't know where it'll end up. I think we're all feeling each other out at the moment. And uh, uh, I think leadership's doing a great job of sort of uh, um, bringing us together. To, and I'm not sure what we're going to do about education if we're going to. Let's go there right now, because I think that's, um, um, see, at least in my eyes, perhaps the biggest need for a serious revenue discussion. Do you agree with that? Well, and I think, you know, so talking about minerals, you know, we're like every other state. We fund schools with property taxes. And you know, South Dakota has twice the rate of property taxes we do. So we're blessed in Wyoming because half of our property taxes are paid on minerals. And that's at 100% valuation. You know, our homes are only 9.5%. And, uh, and we have the fewest mills in modern state history because we don't bond for school construction. I think the average statewide is 68 mills. So we're paying the lowest property taxes rate in modern history. And uh, so then you have schools that are funded then just minerals pay most of the property tax. And then we throw federal mineral royalties into that mix to also a significant funding of, of schools. So of all the government services, you know, and we have studies from our LSO staff here, you think of corrections or health or the university or community colleges or highway departments, the most mineral dependent government services, K-12 education. And so we ride these waves and when, when those local property tax values crash, when mineral prices crash, then the state has to step in and make up the difference. Our talk, what we're trying to do in the House is really, you know, we're going to make cuts. We're going to use all our investment revenue, turn all those dials, um, and make to sure support education to support and spend down our savings. You can't go ask people to pay a tax when you got a billion dollars in, in savings. And so turn all those dials and spin down. And, and I'm confident oil will come back, probably save us. But we're trying to put in this insurance policy that if our savings get down to this level, then this one cent sales tax would kick in. And, uh, you know, and that would move us from second lowest to bottom third. You know, and we'd still be about 30th out of 40, 46 states that have a sales tax. So, and certainly lower than all of our our surrounding states. And there's but, some projections I think I've read where that likely wouldn't happen right. for five, four or five years. Is that what you're... If oil doesn't come back. And right. we're already seeing, I mean, that's, you know, 
Yeah, worst case scenario would be four or five years. Before but you don't have this crisis mode we're right. always talking about. Right. And I think, you know, I think um, pessimism and hope are both very contagious. And I think what we say is so infectious like that. So, Representative Roscoe, what are you hearing from your constituents? Are they telling you yet that, you know what, it's time for us to maybe pay a little more on the revenue side? They are. Um, and they're willing to do that. They think education is probably the most important thing that Wyoming has to offer, for, you know, if, you're, if they're living here. Um, and they are willing to, uh, <coughs> they're willing to uh, even do it as, as far as an income tax, which I think is probably the most least likely thing to actually get through. But they're willing to do it. And these are, uh, some of these are extremely wealthy people that live up in Teton County, you know, which is a totally different Part of Which would bear most of the burden of an income tax in the iterations, at least that I've seen suggested. It would, it would actually work, and uh, we wouldn't have to uh, depend so much on uh, our minerals if if that were to happen. But I, I just don't. Uh, I think it'd be very hard to pass. Sales tax probably is the, like Steve says, the closest thing. There's two more issues that I want to talk about. One is the um, the reserve account, the rainy day fund, the LISRA. I think our viewers are going to be surprised to learn that, that you know what. There's going to be two to four hundred million bucks that's going to go into that account this year, and I'd like you to explain that, Mr. Chairman, because yeah. that might surprise folks. Well, and so you know how how did that get set up? It was really during the energy boom, two thousand five. We had these excess uh, coal revenues, and and really started this fund, and then we we put part of our permanent mineral trust, our investment return off the trust fund, refuels it. And I think that's a moral question to talk about. Those are really intended for today's people. And we take someone and put it in a savings account for tomorrow's people. And and so these are all issues to talk about, but that's how it's going to grow. I mean, this fiscal year ends July 1st. The last two years, have been, we've had good investment returns, obviously. And, and uh, we think that thing is going to fill up and fully tip into it. Probably a couple hundred million dollars, 180 to 200 million. And so we've got all these... Phase three cuts out there, the elderly and the disabled and all these things. So most of our budget goes to the Department of Health for uh, the, the most needy folks in our state. And uh, so I don't think, I mean, I don't think we're leaving town with those cuts in place and going to grow your savings. That's not what I raised my right hand for, right? So I think, I think in the end, we'll fix that or we probably won't even have a budget and then the governor can fix it when we leave. And... Uh, so, but one your, way or the other, we're going to fix that. Is that your shared perspective, Representative? I think so. Um, I wish we would. I think we're, to some degree we're kicking the can down the road. I would like to see us uh, come up with a, you know, a structure that would provide for education in the future. Uh, I just think it's really hard to pass. The, I want to turn the page to, to local tax questions. It seems to me there's uh, <clears throat> maybe not a shift, but maybe more of an emphasis to, you know what, these tax questions need to be handled locally. If a municipality wants to tax themselves more, let's let them tax themselves more. You're considering excise tax bills that are kind of along those lines. Perhaps schools might be built again by local bond issues down the road. Um, are you concerned that, you know, some counties might think that all of those things are good ideas, some counties may not think any of those things are good ideas, and that Wyoming might have some disparity then because of that kind of local uh, decision-making authority that's probably coming down the road? Yeah, I think that's part of that. We always complain the federal government has their boot on us, we say, you know, and, and let us make some of these decisions. And I think we tend to do the same thing with locals. And I think, you don't, 
There's guardrails on that. So if one county raises a rate, it's not going to be double the next county. I, I don't think anybody's, but I think they're, they're uh, particularly as, you know, we took the tax off food. We started funding locals out of the general fund to make up for it. Well, our general fund is getting squeezed and we're looking at that and saying, how can we get local governments out of the general fund? And so if we're going to do that, we got to give them a little more freedom. To, they have services to provide. Right, we all enjoy all those local services we have from from our hospitals to your city park or whatever it might Road be. Road sewers, all those exactly. things. Exactly. Sure. So I think part of that, and every little town and, and big town, small town in Wyoming and counties, they're they're you're unique. Not they're not all the same. And so I think giving locals some of that ability, I think, is a is a good thing. You agree with that? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. That counties vary tremendously, and um, and. And it, it basically, it's just up to the voters if we, you know, if we uh, allow counties to make some of these decisions. We have a bill coming up in, in a few minutes <laughs> about uh, real estate transfer tax. It's a local, you know, if, if your county is it's brought by the county commissioners and they're allowed to, uh, and, and if the people vote on it, they can. And there's, um, you're probably aware of the tremendous real estate value up in Teton County, which is, uh, uh, seems like, you know, with that huge increase in uh, real estate prices, and values, uh, it comes with uh, other problems as well. Uh, workforce housing and, and taxes on older people that are you know, on a fixed income. And so I, I, would, I would hope that we could allow counties to provide for that just on their own. In certain counties, it wouldn't work, but uh, certain ones it would. Well, thank you both for joining us. We're going to move on in, in our, this segment of Capital Outlook. But thank you so much for yeah. the discussion. Thank Thanks you. for having us. Yeah. yeah. Up next is our Capital Outlook profile with Senator Stephen Pappas. He's an architect. We asked him what the coolest building he's ever designed is, and my guess is you've seen it. That's next. And as we continue with this week's Capital Outlook, it's our pleasure to be joined in this Capital Outlook profile with Senator Stefan Pappas. Senator, welcome back to Capital Outlook. Well, thank you, Craig. I appreciate it. You've been serving in the legislature. Um, this is You're in the middle of your second term in the Wyoming Senate. Tell me, Senator, what caused you to want to run um, after you, quote unquote, entered retirement, I guess, from the, uh, at least from the um, National Guard, the Air Force National Guard? Well, frankly, uh, I didn't really have a, a burning issue, uh, uh, something that I, I wanted to change in the state. Um, uh, so many legislators sometimes have that uh, particular thing that drives them to, to run for office. Uh, I actually uh, started uh, my quasi-government career very young in life. When I was in um, school at the uh, uh, as, as Arizona State University, uh, I became the president of the uh, school, the College of Architecture at, at the university. And, and by virtue of being a president of my college, I also sat on the first council of the university. So I was one of the senators on the first council from, from, from my college. And so um, I kind of enjoyed uh, learning uh, and, and working as a representative of a of a body of people, um, and then and then after after I um, um, left that position, um, I, I I 
joined many, many organizations after I got back to Wyoming, after I got my degree and got back to Wyoming. Um, and I, I tended to get involved in leadership in all of the organizations, you know, whether it be uh, the Air Force Association, uh, whatever. There was, there was a multitude of organizations that I belonged to over, over time. And the chamber, uh, all of these, I uh, sought out uh, uh, positions where I could affect change in the body. So um, as I uh, grew in my career in the uh, National Guard, uh, I became the Assistant Adjutant General for the, for the air uh, side of the Guard and uh, certainly had to interface with government because you know, four percent of the um, the states the the Wyoming Wyoming military department uh, budget comes from the state government, and so we were always interfacing with uh, with legislators, and uh, it was just it brought back memories of what I did when I was a younger man in college, and so I thought <laughs> after I uh, retire from the military because uh, it was a little difficult. Uh, we have had military people, uh, guard people in the legislature, but they tend to be lower ranked than I was. And so it was a little difficult to be a high ranked official and then uh, run for political office. So after I retired, I uh, decided that it was uh, something that I always had a passion for, giving back to the community, trying to help others of a bigger body outside of just my uh, world. And so... That's, that's why I ran. Uh, had no burning issue, just wanted to give back to the state, give back to uh, um, uh, uh, Wyoming, which I love dearly, sure. and, and hopefully help things out. You grew up in Cheyenne and at one time thought you might have a life in the world of physics. Is, is that right? That's correct. Yeah, my first, uh, I enjoyed physics uh, uh, when I was first exposed to it in, in high school. Um, uh, went off to the University of Wyoming and uh, pursued physics, but after the first year, came to the realization that there weren't a whole, whole lot of jobs in Wyoming uh, that required a physicist. You know, it's not like you can open your corner physicist store, right? <laughs> I'd like to go in that store, by the way. I think it'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> I figured I'd have to, I'd be working for some big lab somewhere out, outside of Wyoming, probably. Sure. Uh, or teaching, and I guess you could teach physics, but I, I was not of the mind of being a, a, a teacher. So um, my father was an architect, and um, I kind of liked what he did, and so um, um, I switched majors, stayed another year at the University of Wyoming to get some engineering, went off to New Mexico, got my first degree in, in uh, uh, fine arts, which was with a major in architecture and a minor in anthropology, and then got my professional degree at Arizona State. Talk about your architectural career just for briefly here. Mm -hmm. The coolest building that I've seen that you designed is a Gateway Center at the University of Wyoming, but I'm guessing there are many cool buildings in your past. If you had to tell me the coolest, which one would it be? I think that that's to me that's the was was the most uh, enjoyable project to work on. It was uh, a great design. The uh, the uh, uh, University of Wyoming Foundation and uh, uh, Ben Blaylock allowed us a lot of design uh, flexibility to do to do what we wanted to do. Uh, uh, there's there's uh, there's not too many buildings like that that Wyoming 
architects could do. Uh, it was it was just a great experience, and I'm I'm fortunate to have been the uh, the architect who record for it. <clears throat> Those of us in Cheyenne see the C-130s flying around all the time. What I guess would you like people to understand about the Wyoming Air National Guard who don't live here, who don't see it day to day, who don't interact with um, the many men and women who serve in the National Guard at coffee or at a restaurant? What would you like to tell the folks in Wyoming? And there's a lot of people in Wyoming that don't because uh, unlike the Air, uh, Army National Guard, all the air assets are right here in Wyoming. We have a little bit in Camp Guernsey, but for the most part, they're all in Cheyenne. All the Wyoming assets are in Cheyenne. And so a lot of people in around the state don't get to see us unless we actually go to their communities. And we used to do that. Um, it's been difficult uh, over this last year with the uh, COVID, but um, uh, the, the uh, uh, Wyoming Air National Guard is a very uh, important piece, I believe, to Wyoming, not only to our, to our national mission, we do have a national mission, a federal mission. We, fought, we fly uh, uh, 130s uh, in hostile environments all the time. In fact, uh, uh, we're just getting ready to see some, some of our Air Guard people come back here in March, I believe, um, but uh, uh, that we're deploying all the time. But, but for, the, for Wyoming, um, the, both the Army and the Air National Guard provides a great service to, the, to our Commander-in-Chief, the Governor. We're looking at you sitting in front of a beautiful background. Tell us what we're looking at. Oh, yeah, well, that's uh, looking uh, um, that's at our uh, family cabin. and um, It was a, uh, a scene that was taken uh, just shortly, uh, just a little while ago, because I was up there last week. Um, and it's just between here and, and Laramie, uh, around the Harriman area. Uh, uh, it's a it's a beautiful spot for me just to, to get away from and uh, uh, clear my mind and you know not have to uh, to uh, uh, answer cell phones or email for a, for a while. <laughs> Senator, I want to talk to with you a little bit more about the road usage charge because to many it's maybe a little um, foreign, if you will. Why not just tax me at the pump? I've got to fill with gas anyway, and that'll pay the tourists coming through, truckers coming through will pay, et cetera. But I think that I have read that you're contemplating and are looking towards the future and understanding that, you know what, electric vehicles might be playing a bigger role in not only Wyoming, but our country within the next decade or so. So then how will that work? People won't be going to the gas station. How will we build our roads? Is that one of the reasons why a road usage charge is maybe the right thing to consider in your eyes now? Uh, yes, it is. I, you know, I've been studying this for the last two years, um, and I've been attending um, uh, NCSL conferences, the Na uh, National Conference of State Legislatures, um, their transportation forums uh, and committees, and it's come, it become very clear and apparent to me that the that the gasoline uh, tax, uh, any fuel tax, is unsustainable in the future. If you look at the gap, uh, the uh, the curve of of the uh, the difference between what will be funded by the tax and and what what the cost requirement is to maintain roads, it, it it's a it's a curve that goes up and up and up. And, and I forgot what the number was, but like in 2040, it's a it's it's a multi-billion dollar difference. And gap so, is what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and. and <clears throat> 
and and so the, and the and the problem is it's 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 multiple reasons. Number one, our cafe standards have gotten better, right? So so per mile that you're driven on the road, um, you buy less fuel. Okay, so we've got more road damage, but you're buying less fuel, and so you're 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 not providing the income. Second of all, um, you know, it's, it's been estimated that by 2040, 50% of the vehicles on the road will be an alternate fuel, whether it be probably electrical, uh, 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 an electrical vehicle, an electric vehicle, but who knows, fuel cells are looking uh, promising as well. Um, but uh, especially with the, with the intent to get us off of fossil fuels, um, there's a push to be, to be all um, electric one of these days or all non-fossil fuel uh, uh, vehicles. And so it's not gonna be sustainable. And the longer we wait, we're gonna have a cliff out there. Uh, the, the, the other um, idea is also that with a road usage charge, people, um, vehicles, businesses, whatever, would be charged based on their usage. Okay, too too many of us are always have been, you know. Well, the government should take care of the roads, and I should drive on it for free. Okay, uh, especially in Wyoming, we're not used to tolls. We're not used to paying to drive on roads, right? Um, but uh, somehow we have to charge the folks that are doing the damage. So in a road usage charge, there's classes of vehicles. I believe there's seven of them. Um, and some of them don't pay hardly any, like a motorcycle, doesn't do any damage. Uh, but a, an 18 wheeler, you know, is in a, in a higher class and it does the most damage. So they would pay a higher proportion than uh, you or I. The problem with it, and, and I think why um, it's gonna be a, a, an issue passing is how do we determine how many miles you're gonna drive on what roads? You know, a farmer may say, oh, I drive all my truck all the time on my own private land. On a dirt maybe, road. On a dirt I road. Yeah. And maybe I drive two miles on a, on a state road to get to the other field. But all the other time I'm on property. How do we deal with it? Now, there's a way to do that with technology. Sure. We can geofence all the, <clears throat> all the public roads, but people have an issue with big brother knowing where they're driving sure. so that's that's uh there are there are a couple of states that are utah is doing it um omaha or i mean uh, oregon's got a got a uh, a um pilot program and, and there's different ways to do it you can buy you can buy certificates that say you can drive ten thousand miles and then but then you've got to have an affidavit that says that how many of those were in state how many you know because they're if you drive a lot of them out of state, you don't want to pay Wyoming taxes, right? So uh, it's, that's the biggest issue uh, is, is trying to define <clears throat> who the users are and whether they've driven on our road Sure. how, how we collect the data. You are currently a member of and, and have been past president of the Young Man's Literary Club, Club in Cheyenne. And it's something you've told me you very much enjoy. What is it? And what is your um, role in the group? Well, I, I uh, yes, I've been a member since, uh, gosh, I think it's 1999 or 98 or somewhere in there. 
um, it's it's a, a refreshing club to me. It's called the Young Men's Literary Club. There's not too many of us that are too young, although we're 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 trying to to uh, bring in younger younger members these days. Um, it's a great a great uh, organization. Uh, we do uh, meet weekly and uh, for. Uh, 45 minutes, we debate topics. Whatever topic we want is brought up on the club. Uh, we have active and lively debate on anything from politics to uh, uh, world of events to you know, sports to uh, religion to whatever. Uh, it's a free for all. And um, civil, though, I'll bet. Oh, yes, it's very civil. Um, mm -hmm. uh, on occasion, uh, we get passionate about our beliefs, but um, uh, we're, we're, it's, it's always civil. Um, there, uh, after we have our open debate, then a paper is called for. Every member has to give a paper. Uh, and uh, it's on a topic that the program committee has selected for you. So you don't have a choice. You research the topic and, and um, uh, uh, give the paper and... Uh, can you share with us what you have written about, what you have been assigned a paper on? Yeah, I've, um, I, I've been assigned uh, uh, numerous papers over the years. Uh, um, I've written a paper about the uh, fire up in the northeast corner of the state in 1910. I've written about uh, prolif pro proliferation of uh, conventional weapons. I've uh, written on the Wyoming budget process. I've written on... Um, on um, on uh, this last year, I wrote on the uh, uh, on Cyprus and its um, uh, uh, the division between the Turks and the Greeks on Cyprus. Because last January I visited sure. there, and so uh, in your heritage, yeah, I actually did that. Uh, I did two papers last year, and, and that one was a voluntary paper, so I was able to pick the the subject. Uh, and and there's just a it's just a numerous. Uh, the, the topics are just amazing. The program committee does a great job. So the, the, the paper is given orally for 20 minutes, and then there's debate on that. Well, Senator Pappas, it's been a pleasure. Um, this is good, obviously a difficult session that has now started with the Wyoming legislature, and we look forward to visiting with you again. I thank you so much for taking the time to visit with us on this Capital Outlook profile. Well, thank you for, uh, for uh, asking me. It was my pleasure. And as we begin this final segment in this Capital Outlook, we're going to turn to two freshmen of the Wyoming Legislature. It's my honor to be joined by Representative Carly Provenza and Representative Amber Oakley. To both of you, welcome. Thank you, Craig, for having us. You Thank both you. decided to run for the Wyoming Legislature at a time of great fiscal concern for the state of Wyoming and at a time of COVID. Why? Why did you choose to run? Representative Provenza? You know, I think that the the legislature has had a gap in some of who it represents. Um, I come from a background of economic insecurity, um, a family that has struggled with Medicaid and food stamps. And those perspectives seem to be missing in some of these conversations. And so in thinking about what, what we're facing, this huge problem, we need to have voices of the people who are most impacted by that, the people that are the most vulnerable. And so. Um, it seemed like a time that it was necessary to have that voice. Looked at your um, um, campaign video, and I think people should take a look at it. You made a hard decision when you were very young that education for you 
was your way out of a, of a tough childhood. Am I accurate about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I distinctly remember saying, you know, if, I, if I'm gonna be able to not live paycheck to paycheck, I've gotta, I've gotta go to school. Um, and the only way to do that is through student loans. So I, I just invested in myself. I thought that that was my, my way out. Now working on your PhD. Um, Representative Oakley, how about for you? This is a time that um, um, is not the easiest of times to serve. Yes, thank you. I, uh, I think that's an interesting point, of course, that was asked a lot. Like, really? Now, you know, I, I talked to legislators from a decade ago, and they said, it was so much fun legislating. We could, you want a million dollars? Sure. And, and not to make them sound uh, irresponsible, but... but Stay was more flush at the time. We had money, yeah. And so I think what's important, though, is that actually during this fiscal downturn, if you will, we can really discuss policy. I mean, and, and, and that's what I'm interested in policy. I think uh, Ms. Provenza is. And so you can really decide what is the role of government? What do we want? When we actually have to tighten our budget, then you get closer to actual policy discussions. Each of you have, you are making and already have made decisions about Wyoming's budget. And the chairman of the House Joint Appro our Appropriations Committee uh, Representative Bob Nicholas said it's, as he was explaining the budget to you, he realized it was like drinking from a fire hose as you were trying to learn. How have you educated yourself about the budget? How have you been able to be confident in a position so early in your career to make these decisions? You know, relying on people that, that know it very well to help educate us. Um, looking to my colleagues, asking them about that. Also asking folks who have made it kind of their career to focus on, on, on the budget and what does it mean? What's the golden rod? You know, these aren't, these aren't things that I knew walking in. Um, and fortunately, the Legislative Service Office has given us a ton of resources to be able to kind of walk us through the budget and, and how to make those decisions. But, um, you know, you bring your values with you. Um, and so what are we talking about when we talk about cuts or ads? And, and what, do, what do we need to do for the people? Um, and so I just, I, I just keep going back to those values, but then trying to learn as I go. I mean, I don't know everything yet. <laughs> There's so much to learn. Representative Oakley. Thank you. Um, so uh, they did, the, the Appropriations Committee has been working very hard. Um, they did get us the budget, <clears throat> a proposed budget about a month ago, so that we did have the opportunity to spend time and go through it line by line. But along with that, what you really learn is, you know, there's institutional knowledge and you just rely heavily on some of these people who do such an amazing an amazing job, an amazing lift. Um, again, the appropriations. I personally have relied on Lloyd Larson and Bob Nicholas, and they're they're just a, they're just such a fount of knowledge. Um, and and so, you know, that combination is is what gets you there. We've actually uh, worked on the budget yesterday, and they did such a fantastic job and made the difficult cuts that yesterday actually we had the discussion of we don't have to cut as extremely as we thought. Um, so let's say we thought we were gonna have to cut 400 million. Well, we did, now we know we, we can be conservative within our means and only cut 350 million. So yesterday, um, instead of feeling like um, 
you know, we were going to come in and do all the, the large cuts. The reality is the Appropriations Committee already had that in front of us, um, and we got to take some time and, and discuss, like, the Department of Health, which really had some, some really difficult, uh, onerous cuts, and we were able to not make those cuts, if you will. I'm not sure the Senate is going to agree with everything <laughs> that you have done, and <laughs> as you'll see that process move forward, and we talked about it earlier in the show. Let's turn the page just a little bit. Representative Oakley, I'll start with you this time. Um, you are um, right in the middle of trying to understand how Wyoming's K-12 future is going to evolve. Um, part of that decision likely will become in implementing cuts to K-12 education. What is your understanding about the impact of potential K-12 cuts that have come your way? Well, um, in, the, in the way of talking about cuts, uh, I don't necessarily see that K-12 is different than every other state agency that has made cuts. And, and by that, I mean everybody's feeling the pain. Um, I do think, again, along with um, the discussion that I just had, that we are going to be able to be less uh, dire this year. I'm hoping so. Um, and I'll tell you, I, I know it's controversial, heaven forbid, but uh, there's a proposal in front of the House uh, that is actually what I would say more of a true balance in that it addresses three separate things. And it, it, it starts, it has cuts because it's basically the, the policy being that's what Wyoming people are wanting some cuts, um, not just to have a tax increase. So it starts with some cuts. It also has that if the LISRA, if our rainy day fund drops below a certain amount, then a, a one cent, uh, you know, a penny sales tax would go in and to continue to fund the LISRA. And it has uh, a mineral severance tax included. And um, if we can implement this, you know, if if the bodies want, um, it, there is at least a solution that could look at long-term stability for education. And so those discussions are happening, and I think they're so important. Representative Provenza, what are your thoughts on K-12? K-12 education is, is not going to continue to survive in the way that it has. We need to figure out a different revenue stream. We've got to find ways to raise money. We have to fund education. It's in our constitution. The people of Wyoming value it tremendously. Um, I think if we continue on this path of talking about how to cut education, we're looking at lawsuits. Um, I know in my community there's been conversations about if uh, if the cuts come in, in the magnitude that we've been talking about, we're looking at losing 60 to 100 people just in my school district alone. And education is a big jobs provider in this state. There are a lot of people that work for education. So we're talking about not just our investment in the young people in our state and making sure that they can thrive um, with a quality education. We're also talking about the people that work there. So I'm invested in trying to raise revenues. I want to see us diversify our tax structure um, and ensure that we can fund education. We don't have to go to a lawsuit to do that. Um, and, and we continue with the quality education that we have now. I want to ask each of you this question. Being new to the Wyoming legislature, maybe, but, but maybe everyone should ask themselves this question. If Wyoming didn't have the fiscal challenges that it does, if it didn't have the budget crisis in K-12, 
that we're in. All those aside, my top priority would be who wants to go first? I'll go first. Um, to some extent, I'll admit that I'm probably not going to be answering the question directly um, because you're an I guess attorney. If, <laughs> I guess that's okay. Is that what I should take from this? If the, if the premise is, you know, we have unlimited funding, if you will. Well, one of the the main challenges about government, of course, is that that's that's not the case. So, but so to answer the question, um, my top priority, uh, something that I would like to to work on, um, that I think is a a real goal is finding a way to have a healthy, sustainable Wyoming state government. I think that's really the challenge. Um, and of course, we've been uh, extractive industry mineral dependent. You know, we've had the wealthy uncle paying the bills. Uh, and we are currently looking at that that may not, that very well may not continue, certainly not to the levels that we've enjoyed before. So, so with that, my top priority and my wish list would be that we can find a way, uh, again, to have a healthy, sustainable Wyoming. Representative Provenza? Yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, I would fix our healthcare system. People throughout my campaign and before have talked to me about how they can't afford their healthcare. Um, we've heard discussions all week regarding Medicaid expansion. I'd like to see how we could uh, not just bring Medicaid expansion to the table and ensure that lower income folks can have access to health care, but just making it more affordable for everybody, taking care of our public hospitals. Um, and I also think that if we had this, you know, magic uh, bullet, special bullet for our budget, I would like to work on, on jobs in Wyoming. How do we create jobs in industries so that while we're moving away from the fossil fuel industry, that people can continue to have good paying jobs? Um, and how do we take care of, of folks that are, <clears throat> you know, maybe they're working in jobs they, they aren't getting paid enough in? We need to make sure that we can, we can do that. The last question, and we have just about a minute or so here, but it's a hard one. Um, Representative Zwanitzer yesterday on the floor essentially said in the, the midst of the budget debates, he goes, you know, I've taken a look at our demographics and there will be no young people in Wyoming um, 15, 20 years from now. Did you catch that? And did it scare you? Yeah, that's horrifying. <laughs> I'm a young person in Wyoming um, and it's not that easy to, to find work here and, and raise a family. And I don't want that to be the reality because we have so much to offer in this state. And, I, you know, I love Wyoming. Um, I love our great open spaces and I want to share it with everybody. Um, we need to find a way to, to keep young people here so that they can contribute to our state and so that we can contribute to them. Um, I think what Dan Twanitzer said yesterday was, was spot on and uh, I hope we can steer clear of that. Final word, Representative Oakley. Thank you. Yes, it is certainly concerning. Um, I think one of the things that really needs to be understood is that we have a tax structure that, uh, that is unsustainable. So we talk about having young people come and stay and start businesses here. But as it is, the reality is if somebody starts a business in, um, in Wyoming, we don't have corporate income tax. We don't have state income tax. We don't have a way in which they pay into, into government. So that's why it's unsustainable. So if somebody moves here and they have two young children and they're not paying in, it's, it's actually they're a drain on the state. So 
we really do need to look at the, the economics so that we can make this a place, again, that we can all thrive in. To both of you, it's a pleasure to visit with you in person. Glad the legislature is here in person in Cheyenne. Thank you so much for joining us on Capital Outlook. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Craig. That's a wrap for this week's Capital Outlook. We'll continue the tradition of introducing freshmen next week, and we'll certainly turn our attention probably more to education and budget issues again as well. Thanks for joining us. This program is supported in part by a grant from the BNSF Railway Foundation dedicated to improving the general welfare and quality of life in communities throughout the BNSF Railway Service Area. Proud to support Wyoming PBS. This program was funded in part by a grant from Newman's Own Foundation, working to nourish the common good by donating all profits from Newman's Own food and beverage products to charitable organizations that seek to make the world a better place. More information is available at newmansownfoundation.org. By a grant from AARP, serving the needs and providing real possibilities for the over 50 population in Wyoming. AARP Wyoming, proud to support Wyoming PBS. Programming on Wyoming PBS is brought to you in part by Wyoming Humanities. Strengthening Wyoming democracy through the humanities for 50 years. Thinkwhy.org. Proud to support Wyoming PBS.